Hi, I'm Chris, I'm an addict. And once again, it's fabulous that you're with us during this series. This series particularly is one of the most incredibly exciting ones I've done recently. And this is the journey of recovery and the story being given to us by a recovering addict himself, Daniel. And so I really welcome Daniel once again to continue the story. And this particular episode, he's going to talk about facing and letting go of his past. So Daniel, thank you again, as I've said, and just tell us, what is this letting go of the past? Hey Chris, thanks for having me again. Um, loving the journey that Chris and I are on, uh, you know, in this uh, NA 12-step recovery course, I found family. Um, there are many factors to contribute to our healing, but I thank God that there's programs out there can you put you in a direction to uh, find yourself, find healing, and make it happen? So, Chris, the reason I, I wrote this this podcast is in ancient times, as a form of torture, they would take a live person and they would tie them to a dead body, and then as this dead body decayed, so the a live person would catch the diseases from this infected corpse, and so then have a slow death. So this person couldn't get away from being tied to a dead body. So I'm 42 years old and uh, around 40, um, looking at my entire life, I just said I can't live in my past. I have carried it for too long. If you've had any form of abuse and, and I had massive amounts of abuse, you know, you can't relive your childhood and uh, right up until 40 I was trying. You know, I've got my own kids but here I am trying to relive my own childhood, my own pain. How do I go back? How do I fix it? How do I... It's just sometimes you you know the serenity prayer that we that we love so much you know, accepting the things you cannot change okay and so if you if I find for myself I'm carrying around this dead body okay all this stuff that happened to me and um, I'm a business guy I've got a few businesses I've got employees that look up to me I've got a wife and four kids I've um, got relationships and I'm in various leadership roles and you cannot be a victim and a victor. It's impossible. And I, after surviving everything I have, and the years of abuse, and the rehabs, and the hospitals, and the overdoses, um, and the crazy chaos, and the jail, and I mean, we're going to get into some crazy stories, you know, a criminal record that God has even cleared off my name. I just said, I want to live a life where I leave a legacy. And when I started pondering that concept, I realized that I can only leave a legacy if I let go of the Ill illegitimate legacy that I was holding on to. I cannot have a positive story. I cannot impact other people's lives in a way to help them heal if I don't heal. Hurting people hurt people. When, you, when we're walking around with abuse, I hurt everyone around me because you become suspicious. You think everyone has an agenda, a hidden agenda. There's a snake behind every bush. Um, and you end up breaking relationship and people and business around you everywhere you go. And I, I've got, that was the story of my life up to 40 years old. I may have found a higher power. I may have been serving God. I might have even been going to church, but I wasn't healed. I wasn't walking in healing where I could, where I could give a positive message to those around me. And um, there comes a time when people keep walking out of your life and you have to stop and ask why. And I don't want to lose any more friends. I don't want to lose any more colleagues. Um, I want my life to count. Uh, I'm doing this as transparently as I can because it's not about me. 
I'm not trying to punt my own name. I really want to tell my story because everywhere I go, um, there are people who are broken beyond measure, uh, and I don't take that lightly. But I love the old and new Chinese uh, mythology when there's a broken pot and you've got this vase that's been shattered and they take it and they put this vase back together but they use gold glue and so this pot gets put back together with this incredible gold lining and it's a saying that the pot is more beautiful after the brokenness and being put back together than 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 before and so um I recently a year and a half ago moved and chris that's when you and i started our story our, our journey together sometimes you've got to leave your environment sometimes you've got to pack up let go and move on and so at 40 years old i restarted my life i pushed the reset button um you know you've spoken about the first four steps and step four being making a moral inventory of yourself and i realized that I had been abused and I definitely was a victim, but, but to find love or to get back at others, I was doing the same. I was bringing people into my life, getting them to love me and then dropping them. Not intentionally, but my behavior was hurting everyone around me. And you need, you need to get to a place where you find yourself uh, needing to have a teachable spirit. What does that mean? You need to have people point out your blind spots without thinking that they're attacking you, without thinking that they're abusing you, Um, finding leaders, even though I was abused by every authority in my life and rejected, I said, God, I'm not ending my life in this hurt. I watched my family and and my family line has has a line of devastation without dishonoring anybody. But my, my dad lost his father at... 15, his mom at 17 to alcohol. Um, I had a famous uncle, uh, an actor. He was in Panic Mechanic uh, with Leon Schuster. Uh, looked up to him and he committed suicide downstairs in our house. Um, I watched an uncle of my mom's, um, his, his beautiful wife and four daughters walk out of his life and selfishly pursue alcohol to his death and leave no legacy behind. Um, my mom's dad was taken out on a motorbike accident when she was 13. So, you know, I want to talk about my parents and how much I love them. Um, but they were broken. Uh, broken because of hurt. This thing has been in our family for generations. So people get weird about generational curses. All, all they are is consequences to decisions other people make. Um, you cannot choose to make your father or mother stop drinking, Uh, you cannot choose whether they die young or old. Those things are all out of our hands. It's how do we handle the abuse? And so I lost my father on the 7th of September 2019. Um, I loved my dad with all my heart. Um, He really was an amazing man. Despite his brokenness, he loved God. And the one thing that he left behind was his love for God. And I just said, looking at our lives and... um, I lost my oldest brother in 2014 to addiction as well. And I just started to look at the devastation around in our family. And I just said, I don't want this to be my story. I don't want my kids to have a memory of a father who went before his time. And it's been my biggest motivator because 
if you're an addict and you're listening or you're fighting addiction, we are selfish in our very core. Um, when we decide to go on a mission, um, take matters into our own hands, we, we take things to numb our pain, but we, we cause pain to everyone around us. And um, I, I just said to myself, uh, and obviously through massive amounts of prayer, and getting back into an environment where I allow people to speak into my life, I'm not leaving that legacy for my kids. That is not going to be my story. Um, the, the, the battle is fierce. Uh, healing is far more painful than addiction. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's, it's, it is incredibly powerful. It's, it's as, a, as a recipient of recovery in remission, my life is dramatically different to what it was, and the one thing I've got around to doing is loving myself. But I had to face a lot of things to be able to do that. Uh, and one was obviously overall taking responsibility for the actions I took to feed my addiction. But then when you were talking about step four and what you've just said now is, you know, how, how, how have you been able to deal with your resentments, anger, fear, and obviously the hurt? It's clearly, even now you speak about the disappointments and the hurt you've got in your life. How have you been able to really get over these things that are so apparent in recovery as we discover what's happened and what we did to other people as well? but also obviously what people have done to us, which you've explained. But I just, you know, for me, how were you able to do that? So glad you asked, Chris. You always ask good questions. So you, Chris has been uh, incredible in my life. He's, he's sat me down in some lunches and hit uh, blind spots that have been very painful to listen to. And um, the 12-step program certainly goes and pokes places you don't want to visit. Uh, but you should go there. So I'm glad you asked that question. Again, now I need to refer to my higher power um, that I've found uh, and and love, and, and he, he is truth. And so there's a beautiful, beautiful picture around the beginning of what happened uh, before Jesus went to the cross. So let's go to a garden called Gethsemane. That was a garden that uh, Jesus was in. He had his disciples with him. Uh, one of his disciples was off betraying him, with 30 pieces of silver and the other 11 were sleeping. Um, and in this incredible moment, uh, if you think about the story, when when betrayal happens, when your life falls apart, when you hit rock bottom, you're on your own. Everyone around you is sleeping. Uh, there's no one there. You know, when the party's on, everyone's there. When the money rise, runs out, when, when the party's over, you're on your own. And so here's an incredible mentor, and he's in a garden, and he's facing death. And um, he prays a prayer. He says, um, take this from me, uh, but not my will, your will. And so step one, uh, submitting to a power greater yourself, realizing that you're powerless to this addiction, is really in this moment what, what Christ uh, modeled for us. So he was able, facing death, being betrayed, alone, um, rejected, call it, from his disciples because he even went and begged them to pray and they fell asleep, later on denied him but became amazing apostles. So here, here's the thing, if he could go through it, if that moment he could say, not my will but your will be done. So my will is vengeance. I mean, everyone who hurt me, 
for many, many years, you know, you close the door and picture their face on certain things, take out a sword and, you know, this, you want you want vengeance, you know. Um, like I said, betrayal happens to you, you know. Um, but here comes the victim versus the victor. I don't want to be a victim anymore. The reality is it happened. I've buried many of those who hurt me. Others of those, there's been conversations and half of an apology. There's others that, well, they don't care that they hurt you. Then I have to look at my own life and say, how many people did I destroy through my hurt? And so he models something for us here. He says, not my will, but you will be done. And in that moment, he sweats blood. He's so stressed out that blood vessels in his head burst. And I've never been that stressed out, Chris. I don't know if you have, where blood flows from your head. But here in a moment, um, my greatest mentor and my hero models something for me. That if you will obey, if you will submit, if you will say not my will, when you hand your life over to your higher power, it means I'm trusting you rather with my future. I can't trust myself. Okay, After 25 years of active addiction, I know I cannot trust myself. I don't have a handle on this. I am not in control of what happens today, tomorrow. I need him. I need to trust him. I need to walk this road with him. And so here he models something for us. He says, not my will, but your will be done. He ends up getting put on the cross. None of us have been murdered to that point. Um, and he gives his life for us so we can find freedom in this moment. So my whole theology started to change to say if Christ could forgive betrayal to death, I'm still alive. I'm breathing. Okay? Which means I can, I, I can still work it out. I mean, when your breath is gone, it's over. When the line is drawn in the sand and your time has come, you can't tell your story anymore. And so I have to revisit that place often. I have to keep going back there and saying, help me. Help me forgive. Help me let go. Help me um, let go of the vengeance, the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, um, the hatred. Because the reality is when you're walking in unforgiveness, you're drinking poison, expecting other people to die, and you're poisoning everyone around you, you become a toxic, just this incredibly toxic person that, and, and the cycle never stops, unfortunately. I mean, you know, this is the whole thing uh, for, for me, is I had, to f I had to forgive to be forgiven. And I think that's really important in that context. What is it to, be, to forgive? I mean, there are things that have happened to you and to me that have changed and in aspects completely changed our aspects of what love is about, what affection is about, what trust is about, all the foundations for a moral and ethical life have been abused for somebody else's needs. How have you been able to get to the place with what you've just said, which is with your higher power, of actually genuinely forgiving? And then from that, how do you feel, having done that, you feel you've been forgiven. Forgiveness is such a broad topic because it's really easy to forgive until you saw, see the person that hurt you. <laughs> uh, moving out of Joburg and leaving a lot of those that, that did that behind um, and now living in a new location, it's really easy to walk in forgiveness. Uh, when that person's name comes up in a conversation, when I'm walking in the mall and I see them, so forgiveness is a process, number one. Number two, it's not a natural act. It is absolutely something that you have to take 
to your higher power and work it out consistently because I have forgiven certain people five million times. Um, the memory, so what we never free from is the memory, and the memory creates an experience. That's how incredibly our minds have been developed and created, that we have this filing cabinet, and it's supposed to be for great experiences so that we enjoy life, but in the same filing cabinet are the, are the traumas that happen to us. And so it's this constant process of filtering out the files in the filing cabinet, okay? Uh, I mean, Christ says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. I mean, that means he forgets them. Now he's Christ. He forgets our sins. We have memory. But the more you take the memory in and the more you work it out and the more you tell your story. So how do you overcome the enemy? Revelation says you overcome him through the blood of the lamb, word of your testimony. Every time I do this, every time I'm in a podcast like this, every time I'm talking about it, I'm healing because I'm willing to go there for the sake of someone else. Okay? I'm willing to go there and talk about it to help someone else let go. Okay, um, Forgiveness, uh, in, in especially in the midst of betrayal, requires absolute reverence and awe and understanding and submission to your higher power. And, and with that, Daniel, I just want to know, with, you know, you've spoken about this, but I, I'm going to push you a bit more of understanding in your context because you talk about your higher power, you talked about a lot of uh, uh, true stories in the Bible uh, which, are, which are clear. But for somebody who's not in that place, is trying to understand, first of all, how do you do this? What is it? And then what are the rewards of forgiveness? Because a lot of people like to hang on to resentments and anger um, because it, it, it just forms, again, a new identity of hate, um, which we don't like, but still we hang on to these things. But for you, what have been your rewards of forgiveness? Not only to, to others, but to yourself. So, so in, my, in, my, in my, I mean, I have a mentorship business and I'm, I dig quite deep into to business guys. So I work with a lot of leaders. And so let me just give it to you in a leadership context quickly because I know um, a lot of addicts are, are leaders. We have influence. And you're either influencing people in a negative way or in a positive way. So if we put it into layman's terms for your life, and every single one of us are a leader because we all have to lead ourselves, okay? You need to decide if you want to be the person that walks into the room and everybody runs away from you because no one wants to ask you how you are because when they do, you offload the last 40 years of stuff. And the next time you see them, they're offloading the last 40 years of stuff and they never get over it. Or do you want to be the person that walks into the room and guys say, flip, I know this guy's story. I know what he's been through, but he's in a good mood. He's uh, encouraging others. And so the decision you have to make is victor or victim. You can't be both. So uh, in an active addict environment, I had to be the victim to justify my behavior. Every time I relapse, every time I go use, it's always somebody else's fault. I've got to find this massive reason to throw it onto someone else, else so that I can get over what I've done. The, uh, the second part is the, the person we find most hard to let go of is ourselves. We're all very good giving advice. We all know what to tell others what to do. But you've got to let yourself off the hook. You've got to say, I only have my future in front of me. My past I can't change. I need to let myself off the hook to give myself a chance to find healing. And you need to go. I mean, it's very simple. You know, you're taking the higher power element out of it now. 
you need to go this moral inventory that you're doing step four you need to go look at your stuff because we all have stuff we we judge others for similar behavior that we do we are holy we are holy cows basically because we put ourselves on a pedestal um to speak for myself with a long history of addiction and i can judge someone who's who's going through far, something far smaller than me and th there is this thing of superiority that comes upon us because we feel we can point fingers so the moral inventory if you never show it to anybody or you never speak to anybody else is go take a good look at yourself we're all human we all have a fallen nature we all have stuff we struggle and you're not perfect so if you think you are well that's your biggest deception you know go look at your stuff so when you see your own stuff and in the light of it you're expecting others to let go of your stuff because we do we want our families to forget about our addiction we want those we hurt to forgive us we want uh, everyone else to give us grace but we, we are ungracious and unforgiving so then how does that work surely what you throw out there you're going to get back so that moral inventory you need to revisit it every time you want to throw stones at others go revisit your stuff remember where you come from i want to remain i use the word humble walking in humility i never want to forget where i come from because i'm never above anybody else in my journey or my healing or my um, uh, journey with na or anybody i am as close to a relapse i am as close to failure as anybody else but i've decided i'm not going to be a victim anymore bottom line today today just for today yes i mean that's that's quite something you know obviously this is the the step four of a moral and fearless inventory of ourselves but this exposes a lot to us that we might not want it to have looked at in fact a lot of the stuff that we won't be looking at because we're still in denial because we think we were right in certain aspects to feel angry and bitter towards people but in all this thing while you were writing this the the things of resentment anger and fear and all of those and hurt particularly are going to be coming up so this comes back to is to be forgiven so that uh, to be forgiven yourself ask for forgiveness that you may forgive because you can't do one before the other you have to be prepared to forgive and then be forgiven so I just want to go back into this. How, how have you dealt with all the things that I know you've done in your step four? And I was privileged enough to be part of your step five, which is reading your moral inventory to God and to another human being. How have you dealt with what's come out of that step four in being able to forgive to be forgiven? We all have something called the hippocampus and your hippocampus is like your, like a minefield. So you will be sitting with someone and say something and all of a sudden that person reacts and like explodes and you go, what, what just happened? Because they heard something through an interpretation of their own hurt. And so the only way to deal with this, Chris, you know, we learn for just for today. Just for today doesn't mean today I'm not going to face um, someone that hurt me it doesn't mean i'm not going to face a situation that hurt me finances that were stolen businesses that were taken uh, abuse uh, physical abuse mental abuse it doesn't mean you're not going to face those things it is a constant decision that you're going to face it with honesty transparency and you need you need friends um you cannot do this on your own so the the worst uh ending to all addiction which is usually the case is isolation 
because you don't want to get hurt by people, so you isolate yourself away from them. Just as much as you get hurt in community, you only find healing in community. Just as much as you only get hurt by people, you cannot find healing unless you're hanging with people that are healed. So if you're going to be on Grumble Copy with all your friends on Grumble Copy and you get together, have tea, and you reminisce about how hard life is for you and that's who you're hanging around with, well, you need to change your circle of friends. I really go out of my way to hang with people that have found healing, that that um, have, have gone further than me. I respect you so much. You're 39 years sober uh, as you sit here today. You've got a testimony behind you. I can learn from you. I want to walk with you. I want you to see my blind spots. I want you to help me. And that means I have to let go of my pride, allow you to speak into my life, and see it rather as a love lesson than a criticism or an accusation. So um, and in all that in the step four that we spoke about in step five, you have come to realize other people's resentment towards you and why, why people are angry with you and why, why people fear what you might do next and why. And the other thing is the hurt you've done to them. And for me, that is really important to recognize that. But at the same time, realize I'm also a good person. I'm not a bad person. I'm an addict. I'm not a bad person, but I did bad things to survive a d disease I didn't understand. But what I'm really trying to get to with this is that that is the stuff that we've got to realize why people are, why they don't trust us anymore, because that's the grounding of it. They love us, but they don't trust us because of all these things that we've done that lost that trust. So in that, you had to write down the things that you understood that you need to be forgiven for. And then from that, you could then forgive the things that people had done to us in our past. How, and this is the thing that I'm asking, how were you able to, what was the process of forgiving for you? What was the process of being able to deal with these feelings of other people that you were able to be forgiven? I know a lot of people that have moved two words out of their vocabulary and they, they, they found it impossible to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. So... You cannot make someone sorry. Okay, sorry takes humility. Um, reflection. Reflection, admitting that you have issues and that you need to say sorry. But when you're a victim, you only see yourself. Um, it's the good old saying, you're trying to help someone else with a little speck in their eye when you've got this log you're carrying around. So if you're a victim, you cannot say sorry because it's all about you. It's all about you, it's all about your world, it's all about your hurt, it's all about your addiction, it's all about your pain and the reasons you, and like I said, there's some people you just don't want to be in the room with. So learning to say sorry brings humility because if you can't say sorry to someone else for hurting them, why on earth should anybody release you from being 100%. a victim? And, and that's, that's the thing. And then, and then the other element is forgiving, you know, I mean, talked about the abuse that happened in your life and things that had happened all throughout your younger life, your teens into early 20s, even the 30s. The, the element of being forgiven or forgiving, the forgiving is a difficult thing. Have you been able to achieve that with the people who took some pretty precious things away from you? One of my biggest frustrations with helping fellow recovering addicts is we took 20 years to create chaos we want fixed in three weeks. 
hundred percent. Okay. Um, every addict, or, you know, recovering addict, I can't go spend three months in a rehab because it's. Oh my word! I've lost three months of my life, but you've been screwing things up for thirty years. So no ways. I'm at the end of that list. I'm forty-two. I'm I'm two years down a road of healing, um, with twenty-five years worth of baggage. So give yourself time and space. Okay. Um, healing is a journey, and healing is more painful than the chaos that created it. Um, when you're on drugs and you're intoxicated, you you sober up, and you've everyone else is kind of looking at you because they got hurt, and you were out of your mind. So that you don't have any context. You're just feeling sorry for yourself. So give yourself time. I mean, I'm on a journey. I am by no means Mr. Perfect. I'm by no means got it all put together, but I do know where to run to get my help. Okay? And that, that's important. I mean, the point is that this is key about this and, and, and in summing up this particular session, you know, that none of us are perfect, but the world yet portrays perfection. It is impossible. The only way that the only only element of perfection is my higher power because it, it is unconditional with the love it gives he gives me. So my my whole thing about this is the ability to take it a day at a time and find the things we need to be forgiven for and for the ones who forgive. We can't do it all in one go. And the biggest thing that I had to recognize in myself in my selfishness when I was in active addiction was what I did to the families around me, my family around me, and uh, the, the chaos I brought into their life by my disease. And I think that's really important to talk about because I know, as well as your story, I know in my story that the chaos I brought into my family was beyond tolerable. And today, um, I hope that what you and me are doing right here enables people to start recognizing uh, what happened to them, why they became the people that they did become, um, and then be able to forgive that, at the same time ask for forgiveness when we were in active addiction to the people we had hurt around us. Um, and that is, that is a big challenge, and, but it is possible. And that's why the 12-step program goes on with step six and step seven, step eight, which are all about learning to recognize and deal with the issues that we brought up in step four and step five. And then to find the shortcomings. What is it about our temper? What is it about our manipulation? And all those sort of things that we've learned from reading our step four and doing step five. And then how do we then um, identify with things that we know that we're wrong and be able to promptly admit it? And how do we write down the ability to write down all the things and all the people we had hurt and became willing to make amends to them all. And as you say, looking for the word sorry, we cannot just go out there and say, sorry. It's not that the, the sincerity comes out from doing by working on it, working and understanding in the context of writing down all the people we had harmed and were becoming, becoming willing to make amends to it in sincerity. And then to move on to the next step, which is to really go and apologize to all the people we would hurt, make amends to all the people we hurt, except to do so would injure them or others. But so Chris, uh, sorry, jump in there quickly. Um, I'm so glad you're ending with us because the next part we're going to talk there is destroying and rebuilding. And I really think we're going to cover this in a lot more depth. Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you, Daniel. Once again, I'm really excited to hear about the next one. 
which is overcoming financial lack and poverty. And I really am um, looking forward to that. So Daniel, thank you. Thank you again for this series and everybody else. Wonderful, you've been able to witness this with me and I just thank you again for listening and being prepared to be open-minded and looking at the similarities, not the differences as we talk. Because actually we're all dealing with the same stuff but it just comes in a different format. But it is the reality that it got us to where we are today that's in recovery and it took us to where we didn't intend to go to. And that's the thing. So with that, I'm going to shut off and remember, stay safe and keep it clean. Thanks, Chris.